to the new revolution in fitness and performance. The Ardell Training Podcast. Forging athletic bodies around the world. Here's your host, physical therapist and strength coach, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, I wanted to pass along something that I really like. If you heard a previous podcast episode with Jason Ferrugia, you know that I like the Renegade Roast Coffee. It's a high-performance clean coffee that tastes amazing and is free from pesticides and chemicals. And it's a coffee that gives back, as each purchase supplies a person in need with clean water for two years. Again, this is something I personally use, and I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't. If you like coffee, as most of us do then this is a coffee you'll definitely want to check out. For more information, go to renegaderoastingco.com forward slash Scott. Again, that's renegaderoastingco.com forward slash Scott. Check it out. All right. Welcome to episode number 113. And in this week's show, you're going to hear from Josh Hankin, and you're going to learn all about sandbag training or DVRT. I'll explain exactly what that means in just a minute. But uh, before we get into the show, I've got a few quick announcements. The first thing is next week on the podcast, find out how you can win a free Rogue kettlebell. That's right. I'm going to be giving away a free Rogue kettlebell, and I'll have all the details about that on next week's podcast. So make sure you tune in for episode 114. The second thing is I wanted to let you know that my new book, The Edge of Strength, is coming along very well. I am really immersing myself in this process right now. I'm hoping to finish up the first draft very soon and get it out there. Again, this is a huge priority for me, and I I talk about it because I want to have accountability to get this done. I want to get it out there to you, and this is really my entire philosophy on strength and performance training, and I'm going to cover some unique concepts and unique topics in this book, and uh, I'm really, really excited about it. But uh, it's been a massive process. It's a lot harder than I thought, to tell you the truth. But I I just can't wait to get it out there. So if you want to get updates and a lot more information and a lot of great free uh, tools and resources, make sure that you go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join. Again, go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join. And uh, you'll be the first to know about uh, when the book is available and to get uh, great free updates and probably a lot of bonuses and things like that along with the uh, the book launch when it uh, comes out. So, all right. So let's talk about this week's podcast. This week we have Josh Henkin, who uh, many of you wanted to hear from. And I Josh has been on my list for a long time. I'm glad that we were able to make this interview come together And it's a great session. It's a really fast-paced session, but we covered a lot of uh, important questions around sandbag training or dynamic variable resistance training. You're going to learn why it's different, uh, how it may fit into your training program, and how to get started the right way. Josh has some great, very actionable insight and advice about how to get started with sandbag training. All right, let me tell you about Josh before we get started. Josh Henkin is a certified strength and conditioning specialist with 20 years of experience in the fitness industry. He has participated in many certifications, workshops, and training experiences with some of the top professionals in the industry. He has worked with a wide variety of clients from professional athletes through the elderly, and he has even competed in various strength competitions such as strongman events and even amateur Olympic weightlifting competitions. In 2005, though, Josh began the early development of his dynamic variable resistance training system, the DVRT system, as well as the creation of the ultimate sandbag. He has been featured in everything from Men's Health, the CrossFit Journal, T Nation, Self Magazine, and many more, and he has become a highly sought-after international presenter and author on innovative functional training methods. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, especially if you don't know a lot about sandbag training and and really what that training method is. Josh explains it very well and really gives you everything you need to know to get started the right way and really understand where this fits into your training approach. So I think, again, that you're really going to enjoy it. So sit back, 
check it out, and then I'll pull things together here at the end. All right, so this week we've got Josh Hankin joining us, and we're going to discuss a topic that listeners wanted to hear about, and honestly, I wanted to learn more about this, and that topic is sandbag training or dynamic variable resistance training. So Josh, first of all, thanks for being here, man. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me on. So before we get into that, uh, tell us about your background in exercise training and, and how did you get into the fitness industry? Uh, you know, I, I realized pretty early on that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, uh, even with my best efforts. And so I wanted to be so active in athletics. And I was very fortunate at a young age in high school to have a mentor. Uh, be a, a, He was the assistant strength coach for the Chicago White Sox. So I got exposed to strength conditioning very early on, and uh, I remember even going to my first uh, workshop when I was 16 just because I loved and wanted to learn everything about the industry. Uh, so that sort of set forth my path. I, you know, Basketball was my sport growing up, and um, through a host of different injuries, uh, eventually it would be the end okay. <laughs> of my athletic career too. But you know, that, that sort of set forth you know, the desire to want to learn as much about physical training as possible because really it was about healing myself and uh, bringing myself back to, you know, wanting to be athletic and, and functional in life. And so, you know, that also sp uh, spurred my interest in education in the industry because, again, I wanted to find about everything possible there was to, uh, to bring myself back to a point where I could do some type of competitive athletics. And so I ended up doing uh, things like Olympic lifting, strongman competitions, and so forth. But that was definitely a long journey and uh, one that I really appreciate because I think every injury, every sort of setback was an opportunity to really develop and, and evolve, you know, what eventually became our DVRT system. So when people say, you know, where really did that stem from? It was from all these experiences, all these challenges, and, and being able to see how, you know, myself transformed and then I was able to apply that to other people. Right. Now, you mentioned injuries. Did you have a major injury or was it a, a culmination of different injuries? Or I, I had several major injuries. When I was 14, I, I uh, played basketball at a local uh, basketball court. Um, I landed on a crack in the sidewalk and turned my ankle all the way upside down. So I tore all the ligaments in my right ankle. Um, about six months later during the actual season, um, during a, I was going up for a layup, got pushed in the back, herniated two lumbar discs. Um, when I was 20, re-aggravated those discs to the point um, during um, college basketball that basically I couldn't use my right leg. My right leg went numb and went down like a lump of bricks. Uh, that is actually what ended my career. So there was some spinal cord compression due to those discs. And then when I was about five years ago, found a, a cervical disc compressing about 50% of my spinal cord. So I had a cervical fusion. Uh, so I have a metal plate in my neck, and uh, while wow. that's good, you know, there, there was almost an eeny, meeny, miny, mo because there was three discs that were really bad just from both athletics, life, and other fun activities uh, that those discs are really bad. So managing a lot of that stuff is, is part of the process. So, yeah, I've, I've done a pretty solid job, and that's not to mention the broken bones and the other fun stuff as you probably go through athletics that you build over the years. So <laughs> right. I'm definitely right. very I'm – not, I'm not as good as playing sports as I am getting injured at them. So, <laughs> you know, if there's, a, if there's another category for getting injured during athletics, I'm definitely in that category. You're a champion there, right? I <laughs> I am. I'm a champion one way or another. Nice. Well, if you don't mind me asking, how is your back today and how's your neck today? So as a back patient myself, I can definitely relate. So how does your back feel today? It feels overall great. I mean, um, you know, unfortunately, I got a diagnosis not too long ago that I have very severe stenosis. And as you may know, that's not not anything you can really fix. So a lot of it is management. And, you know, and when people ask me why I'm such a believer and why do I promote our system so hard is because I see what's done for me. And if someone as bad as myself can do the things I do, uh, then I know we're on the right path. You know, I've had neurologists and back specialists just look at me and go, there's no way you should be doing what you're able to do. Uh, and that, to me, is a really compliment to the system that we've created because, you know, if I just sort of sat back and just, you know, let things you know, play themselves out, I probably would be in, in a horrible shape, you know, really complaining about not being able to do a lot more in life. And it doesn't mean that my back is solved and it's fixed and it'll never bother me, but, you know, it's almost a rarity and a, an unusual case where it, it prohibits me from doing things. But it's also about being smart and not doing things that I know would cause pain or things that would uh, definitely be problematic in the long run. Absolutely. So you're pretty in tune with your body and movements and things that would aggravate things. 
Yeah, I think you know you, you could probably relate. You know, as you get both older and you go through things like this, you you definitely gain some perspective that you know what there's a lot there's a lot of great things out there, and some of them you're just not going to do. Right. Um, you know, I have nothing really biased against running, for example, but I know running will definitely aggravate me for a host of different reasons. And so, you know, do I then bash on running? No, I just know it's something that I personally can't do, and. Um, you know, I just try to be smart about certain activities. If there's a really cool-looking exercise out there, you know, it may be a great exercise, and I may just be like, you know what, that's not really good for me. I don't even want to attempt that. I just, you know, right, it's one of those, right. you know, better off not doing that. And so it's just, you know, again, you know, being smart about what your limitations are and being okay with them and knowing that there's a whole lot more you can do if you're smart about just limiting the stuff that you're really not supposed to do. Yes, Josh, can you talk about your training like uh, right now, this week? So what are you doing? Like how many days do you train? Uh, how long is the typical session? And then, of course, you know, what implements um, are you using? Obviously sandbags, but w- besides sandbags, what else do you do? Um, I train about five to six days a week. Okay. Uh, and most of them, you know, outside of the warm-up session or anything like that, ends up being about 30 to 40 minutes depending upon what I'm doing. Um, I'm actually trying to build a little more volume right now because I'm working on our clean and press test uh, with a heavier load. So, you know, I'm working towards a 130-pound uh, ultimate sandbag, which is pretty hefty. Uh, so I'm trying to build up a little volume right now. Uh, and then, you know, as far as the implements I use, I mean, it's kind of surprises people, but I would say about 90 to 95% of what I use is our ultimate sandbags. I'll use some body weight. I'll use little kettlebells and suspension triggers. But, you know, for me, it's not, it's so much more about if I use something else, I always go through the thought process of what does this deliver to me that I can't get through what I'm already using. So to me, I want to be able to say, I am using this tool because of this reason. And it better be a really good specific one. Otherwise, there's really, for me, no reason to change implements just for the sake of variety. I mean, I do that every once in a while, don't get me wrong, but usually there's a lot more intent in using a specific implement or tool than, man, I'm really bored of using this. I'm going to use that now. Um, So, you know, as far as what I do, you know, they're largely full body workouts, uh, probably not surprising to anybody. Um, you know, I apply our principles, so I, I adjust intensity based upon, you know, things like, you know, holding position, body position, planes of motion. I work on, you know, specific weaknesses. I rotate, you know, patterns of motion um, so that, you know, I really prioritize, you know, weaknesses first. I prioritize neurologically demanding exercises first. And so it's it's really one of those things. I think our programs end up looking kind of unique. I mean, something I always tell people is when they come to our programs is I want to ruin them. And I mean that in a positive way that I want to ruin how they see uh, fitness because we often do it very differently. And so, you know, for sometimes when people look at our stuff, you know, for the first time, they're, they're trying to figure out the rationale. And until they understand the principles and the concepts, that it's really hard for them to understand how we're organizing training. Now, let me ask you, I, I feel like I have to ask this, but so sure. how did you discover sandbag training and, and what was the hook for you that really got you to where you are today with this whole training system? You know, I go down the path of like trying to do all this uh, corrective exercise stuff. Uh, this is, I'm going to start dating myself like the late 90s, early 2000s and, uh, you know, went through a whole lot of programs and, you know, definitely they were very interesting and uh, definitely had good principles to them, but I was just really frustrated uh, with the results I was getting. I mean, like I said, my primary concern at that point was myself. I mean, I couldn't sit in a chair a lot of times for more than a few minutes just without being in a lot of pain. And um, so, you know, I, I eventually got into the, the old strongman stuff, and I was really intrigued. You know, I think, you know, I read Brooks Kubik's book, Dinosaur Training, yeah, sure. uh, very early on, and he talked a lot about odd object training. So I was really enamored with these, you know, old-time strongmen that could move really well but were still immensely strong. And, you know, the funny part, I always, you know, remind people, it's like there was no idea, there was no, like, there really is no old school training because old school training implies there was a universal system that all these guys followed. And, you know, you probably know as well as I that, you know, everyone did very different things. And this is, of course, before the age of social media. So it wasn't like Eugene Sandow was posting his wad (laughs) on the day on Facebook to George Hackenschmidt, you know, and they were going (laughs) back and forth about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, a lot of times they couldn't even communicate because they were in different countries or regions or whatever. So people developed very individualized systems. So I tried to find commonalities. And one thing I saw everybody talk about, and Brooks talked a lot about in his book, was the idea of odd objects. And, I mean, it made sense from a scientific standpoint of like, hey, you're going to work stabilizers, you're going to work muscles that you can't normally hit, you know, 
all those things. And of course the meathead in me was like, Hey, this is also pretty badass and cool looking. Right. Um, but you know, it, it, trying to decide which tool to use was a little bit challenging. I mean, they used everything from barrels to rocks to, you know, railroad tracks. And I knew, you know, my wife would love railroad tracks in her garage. I think that would be, you know, a really great way to, you know, make good with her. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but in all honesty, I mean, the, they all actually referred to a sandbag in one form or another. Maybe it was a bag of, you know, whatever. Um, some people call it a sandbag specifically, but they all used it. And, you know, I was kind of hooked when they just all kept sort of saying it was very different. And so I did what most people did. I got the army duffel bag, got the garbage bags out, duct taped it up and uh, went to town. And my first workout, you know, I had, to, I had probably at that point, 10 years of training experience behind me. So it wasn't like I was a novice to a lot of the movements, you know, um, and it just kicked my butt. I think it was only like an 80 to 100 pound bag and it just whooped me. And not just from a conditioning side, it was just, you know, really challenging the lift. And so I was like, hey, this is really awesome. But, you know, I did what any great trainer does. I go, I'm going to apply this to all my clients too. And so, you know, definitely, you know, put them to the ringer. And, and they loved the difference of it too. But, you know, what we end up finding as a challenge is at a certain point, you know, the novelty of the sandbags or wore off or just the, you know, initial challenge and, and the reality of having to program and problem solve for it came about. And so, you know, I almost abandoned the whole idea because, you know, I, I started searching all these books to find out, okay, well, how do people program? How do they progress? How do they, right. you know, do this with sandbags? And literally I found a total of 150 pages in probably all the books I looked and probably the majority of them came from a book that was probably about 70 pages that really just talked about exercises more than anything else and just gave a whole bunch of exercises. And so I'm like, man, that, that's kind of crazy. Like in all the books that we have, we have a, somewhere in a range of 150 pages about sandbag training. And I'm like, you know, you, you can go to, you know, Arthur Dressler's Brooklyn Olympic weightlifting. What was that thing? Like 500 pages yeah, just by itself. Yeah. So I'm like, that, that definitely said, spoke to something to me. So I, I sort of said to myself, I said, either sandbags don't work or the, or the implement itself is flawed or the way we've been going about implementing them is problematic. And I really believe that they worked, but I thought the latter two were definitely the primary issue we were looking at. And uh, so that's really what was the inspiration for what we do now was really, you know, both really finding a system of implementation, progression, and, and problem solving, and also designing a tool that really addressed the needs of, you know, strength, conditioning, and performance training, um, you know, that was really problematic with the, the type of sandbag that most of us are used to. Now, let me ask you about the name. I mean, do we call it DVRT, dynamic variable resistance training, or sandbag training? Is there, is there one that you prefer over the other? Yeah, we, I, I, you know, for a while I've gone off the, the DVRT one because, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, the honest reason is that sandbag training doesn't really tell you anything other than you're using a sandbag. And, and with sandbag training, it's even more problematic than if you said, hey, Scott, I'm going to do some barbell training. I mean, if you said, right. I'm going to do some barbell training, all I know is that you're going to use a barbell. Yes. And, and right. so you could be bodybuilding, you could be powerlifting, you could be Olympic lifting, you could be doing, I don't know, uh, God knows what, right? Right. Yep. So it actually doesn't tell me anything about what you're going to be doing. It only tells me that you have a barbell. And with sandbags, it's more problematic because, you know, imagine if, you know, if I say we're going to do barbell training, you probably have a idea that you're going to use a seven foot barbell that's about 45 pounds, right? Right. Well, what if all that, what if a barbell was two feet long, was also four feet long, was two inches thick, was four inches thick, um, some were 20 pounds, some were 100 pounds, it'd be really hard to then get an idea of how you're going to, des how you're going to design a program, how you're going to train that individual, how are you going to communicate to other professionals about, hey, if I say, Scott, I'm going to you know, deadlift 200 kilos a day, but my bar is about a foot long and about a quarter of an inch thick, and yours is 10 feet long, four inches thick, it's going to have too many variables to go along to actually program and progress people. And that's a major issue. Uh, with how most people use sandbags is just because they use a duffel bag and they call it uh, a training system that, uh, you know, they, they don't, they can't standardize anything. When we can't standardize anything, we can't really progress people. We can't program, we can't problem solve. So, you know, if, if people say sandbag training, I go, well, what does that mean? All I know is you're going to use a bag of sand. I don't know how big it is. I don't know like what type it is. I don't know what you're going to do, do with it. I don't know the principles of what you're going to use. So we really, you know, prefer going with DVRT because we have set forth a series of principles, concepts that people follow in their training. And we have an implement that, you know, has allowed us to basically communicate with other professionals, prop program, and really, you know, define some defi uh, definitive um, concepts around. So right. that's why we sort of go with the DVRT concept versus sandbag training. 
Okay. So let me ask you about the, uh, the major benefits or maybe the unique benefits is the better word. So obviously people know that it, it's beneficial for strength and conditioning, but what makes the sandbag, uh, or DVRT unique? Um, there's a lot of things. I mean, I think one is that every repetition is a little bit different and, you know, when, and, and we'll, we can talk about this if you guys want later, but I mean, most people, if you ask why they're going to use a sandbag, they'll say, because it's unstable. And that's right and wrong. Uh, it can be an unstable implement, but t- typically it can be either stable or unstable depending upon size and loading capacity. But what it does do is allows us to make every repetition different by changing how we load the body, how we you know, use the implement, how we load the implement, you know, things like that. So when every repetition is different, you can't really groove a lift. Uh, I know you're probably familiar with the concept uh, of you know, um, grooving you know, lifts. Right. And, you know, I sort of give people the idea that, you know, inherently that's not a horrible thing, but it's sort of like, you know, once you run a mile, then you got to run a mile faster or you got to run longer, right? right? Otherwise, you know, you, the, the benefit of running that mile the same way all the time loses yes. uh, its benefit. So imagine, though, if your implement always is changing. So what it does is it actually requires more coordination of your body to integrate because you can't muscle through some of the lifts in our system. You know, we talk about, you know, clean to fist when we clean to press and you can't, I don't care how strong you are. If you don't move effect efficiently, then you're not going to get in position. Uh, so it really makes people sort of key into where their movement compensations lie. It's also a great way to identify, um, movement compensation. So, you know, depending upon different loading positions we use, uh, with ultimate sandbag, we can identify, you know, hip rotational problems. We can, uh, find core stability issues. We can find, uh, define, you know, problems of developing force from the right places. So it allows us to almost use a screen every time we lift because I can always see where you're fatiguing first, where your compensations lie and so forth. So that's really an unspoken benefit, uh, of using DVRT is always, you know, looking for where we can improve movement efficiency. Um, another one is this metabolic cost, you know, because of the unique loading positions, we've actually were the first to do a study with the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and we found, and they, they actually found that holding an ultimate sandbag on the fist and lunging was actually more metabolically taxing than holding dumbbells basically in the same position with the same load. So there's something unique about having a compressive force acting upon the body that actually stimulates more muscles firing off. So then we create a greater metabolic demand. I think people inherently know that lifting, you know, if I say, hey, we're going to lift a 100-pound sandbag today, like, you never get someone goes, that's going to be easy. <laughs> um, right. So I think inherently people know these things, but they don't actually uh, really, you know, think about how it's going to impact their training and how it's going to benefit their training. And then, you know, just other things like we have better progressions uh, that we can create for people. So I can solve a lot more issues uh, with our ultimate sandbag because we have a lot more options available to us. Uh, we can train a lot more patterns. Uh, so, you know, I know right now it's really popular to say things like, hey, you know, all you need to do is squat, hinge, and press. I'm like, well, that's not really what the body does when it moves. Body does actually a combination of things when it does most movement patterns. So, really, what we need to do is elaborate on how we see movement uh, training because most people aren't training movement; they're training gym exercises. Uh, you know, we we talk about that in regards to you know uh, different plane of motion training, multi-planer training, you know, and, and things like that. We work a lot on eccentric strength, and, and so that's the short list of some of the benefits that people can get out of the program. Okay. So you mentioned uh, progressions. That was one thing I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about. So can you give an example of maybe a squat progression with a sandbag? Sure. So, you know, in lower body dominant lifts, we'll often change holding position before we change body position. And so, for example, we'll set people up in what we call a bear hug squat, which is where the bag runs vertically along the body. So it's running in line with my center of mass. And so that helps people sort of pattern the squat. But the great thing is we can also load it up and we can actually build some foundational strength. But the counterbalance of the load and position of the body allows us to get a really great vertical squat position so we get more mobility out of the ankle, knees, and hips. Yes. And, you know, what, and the advantage is actually as, you know, conversely to a kettlebell, you know, in a gobble squat, as the bag gets bigger, it's actually easier to make part of your body. So the limiting factor isn't really your arms. Uh, so it allows us to actually get a more vertical squat than people even see in a, a typical uh, goblet squat. Right. And, you know, it, our progression obviously could, could be lowered or other things, but if we're going to go off our principles of holding position, you know, we can change it to front hold, which is where the, the weight sits in the crooks of our arms. So now it's sitting horizontally, a little more higher on the center of mass. 
And then we can go to shoulder squat, which is actually a very difficult squat to do correctly, where now we're developing lateral uh, forces. It's a multi-pointer squat. We're challenging X patterns uh, via that squat. So simply by changing how we're holding the weight, we can really change the whole dynamic of a squat pattern from something very stable where we can build some foundational state strength to something multi-pointer where we're adding a lot of complexity to what we're looking for in the performance of the movement. Yeah, you mentioned the, um, the I guess, the, the front hold squat, I guess. So that's where the sandbag is in the, the crooks of the elbows. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of the, the Zercher barbell squat. But the problem is, is the, the pressure on the forearms and the elbows and People don't like it, but it really teaches people how to effectively squat. So I think the sandbag is a great solution to that problem. Yeah, and a lot of people do it wrong. And the reason we don't call it a zercher squat is because, you know, the barbell, if you sort of position your arms, then the weight actually sits pretty close to your center of mass. Okay. With the sandbag, you actually have the center of mass much higher up. And what you also have is a dimensional component. So you have to have a much more active upper body uh, and what, the reason we call it front load is because when you hold the weight in the proper position, it looks like a standing plank. Okay. So it looks like a standing front plank. And so you have to have a very active upper body. I see it all the time that people relax their elbows and they have their forearms come forward. Yeah. So it, it's really a different type of lift where people, you know, can zercher quite a bit. They can, typically they'll zercher about 50% of what they can do with a, uh, an ultimate sandbag in the same position. And because of the dimensional component and the weight sitting higher up, it changes the dynamics of the lift quite a bit. So it's actually kind of its own unique thing. I know visually it looks very similar, but I've seen it time and time again, people that can do 200 plus on the barbell zercher squat easy, really struggle with a hundred pound bag. Wow. That's interesting. So let me ask you about the key exercises. What are the key exercises? So in kettlebells, obviously, there's the, the deep six, the fundamentals. What are the, what are the fundamentals with uh, sandbag training? You know, um, it's funny because really with our system that we, we have – you know, we have a saying that you don't have to do all the exercises, you have to do the right exercises. And yes. so for us, we look at the movement patterns. And so, you know, for example, if you're doing a squat, you know, probably our, our first you know, pattern that we're looking at is, is the bear hug squat. But, you know, at the same time, that may or may not be an exercise that we use. You know, when we're looking at, you know, the lunge, we're looking at up-downs, um, which we may or may not use depending upon the ability level and the goal of the individual. Uh, clean and press, same thing. It's a, it's a foundational drill, but at the same time, there's so many different layers to it and different way, progressions to it. So I would say bear hug squat, up-downs, you know, um, clean and press, lateral drag, um, around the world's, um, those are some of our foundational movements, and uh, you know, and I think people are really surprised to see that. Really, you know, what we recommend for an individual varies so much depending upon their ability level, goals, and so forth. So the nice thing I think what we've done is we really built a system. So really, you and I may be doing completely different looking exercises, but we're working just at different levels of the movement pattern. I think one thing that just drives me insane and good thing I have little hair to lose is that, you know, we talk a lot about being, you know, movement-based training as, you know, fitness professionals. And then you say, well, what are the movements that you work? And most people name off exercises. And so I always remind people, I, I say, you know, what's the difference between a deadlift and a hip hinge? And people look at me a little funny. I said, well, a deadlift is a hip hinge. A hip hinge doesn't have to be a deadlift. So, you know, what we're trying to do is change how people sort of see the training where if we look at the movement pattern, then we have a host of different exercises. So for us, what we do is we look at the movement pattern first, the need second, the exercise third. Gotcha. Now, how much uh, rotational uh, training is included in, in sandbag training? Is that a big part of sandbag training? Rotation? It definitely, it's a big part of our, our training. Um, you know, people have to have the proper mobility in the hips to do so. They have to have worked through the proper progressions to get there. Um, you know, again, you know, talking about planes of motion, most people don't have a plan of how they're going to train the different planes of motion. You know, for us, we we start sagittal, move frontal, eventually go transverse. Um, the transverse plane is the most unstable plane. Emotion, so therefore, you know, it's often done last as we pattern more complexly through the different movement patterns. But rotational training requires a uh, is a big part of our system, and you know, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be a big part of fitness overall, which is problematic because you know, rotation is actually a very probably the most efficient way for us to move. If you think about throwing a ball throwing a punch, kicking, and so forth, all require high levels of rotation. So it's kind of a shame that most uh, fitness programs don't utilize rotation at all in their training. Yes. So with that said, I'm wondering, is there an ideal training tool that would complement sandbags, in your opinion? 
Um, you know, it, it's sort of what I said you know, at the very beginning. It just depends. It depends on depends what on you're trying goal. to do. You know, right. I mean, cowbells are off, obviously complimentary, but so are medicine balls and you know other other tools. It just depends. You know, when people go, hey, what 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 am I going to get differently? What am I going to get? You know, that I'm not getting through this. So you know, we can definitely use other tools as long as it fulfills a need that we have that's not being already addressed. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, for example, you know, I, always, I often say to people, I go, you know what works really well for a kettlebell swing? Kettlebells. <laughs> um, because, Perfect. you know, we watch people, they want to swing this and that. And it's like, you know, kettlebells work really well for swings. But for us, we won't do, you know, ultimate sandbag swings. What we will do are exercises like rotational lunge and shoveling, which are similar movement patterns but have more complexity. Well, I'm not going to start people in that motion. If I want to teach them the swing, I'll teach them the kettlebell swing first. And then we'll move to some of the other movement patterns that we have available to us to add complexity to the, to the movement. Do you find that most people combine kettlebells and sandbags? I mean, does that seem the most common uh, combination of training? I think that's a really obvious one. I think, you know, what's really interesting is I think the kettlebell community is having a little bit of a struggle looking at this and going, how is this different than what I'm already doing? And unfortunately, what they're being introduced to a lot of times as, you know, I'll put up in quotation marks, sandbag training is just doing the same thing with a different implement. And, you know, if you don't have the right intent, if you don't know the principles and concepts, then, yeah, I know I would, I'm right there with them. I wouldn't see much of a need to go and use this other than for variety's sake. Um, once people understand what they're trying to accomplish and do, then their eyes open up and then it becomes like, oh, I totally get how this helps. I mean, we've had kettlebell co- uh, competitors, you know, use our system to improve themselves. We've had power lifters, you know use the system to improve themselves. So it's just an understanding intent and purpose that really changes the people's outlooks on the implement. I always tell people, I don't, I'm not trying to get you to use ultimate sandbags. I'm trying to provide you a solution to your training. So if people understand that, it sort of shifts their mindset upon what we're looking for, what we're trying to accomplish. Now, I, I have to ask you this as well. Is there ever a situation to incorporate sandbags into a barbell training program? Well, sure. I mean, we had a power lifter. He was, I think, at 850 squat trying to reach 1,000. And, you know, obviously we're not going to have him do ultimate sandbag squats. His squat's plenty strong. Right. So, you know, in working with him, you know, we, we sort of identified some weak links in the lateral hip stability and cross-pattering and so forth. So for him, what we did is we did some shoulder step-ups, rotational lunges as his, you know, USB drills, and then, you know, still kept his barbell work. That was his skill development and what he had to obviously practice and groove. Um, so he ended up reaching that 1,000-pound squat mark, and he was humbled because, I mean, he didn't use more than, I think, about a 60-pound ultimate sandbag for the other movements we were working upon. And so that's pretty astounding because, as you know, you know working from 850 to 1,000 isn't like working from you know, 100 to 200 pounds. That's <laughs> right. a way bigger jump. Yeah. Uh, so to see that when we increased his body's e- efficiency, ability to connect and stability, that he improved his barbell uh, lifting. So th- there's definitely a place for it. You know, okay. I, I've right. had strength coaches at university programs where, you know, I'm not going to go in the, them and necessarily the first time teach them how to power clean a USB. You know, they pre- they feel pretty confident that they can power clean uh, a barbell, but we'll show rotational cleans, lateral step cleans. We'll do things that maybe they wouldn't typically do with a barbell, and they'll see the benefit to their uh, sport uh, performance and, and really understand that you know there's a whole bunch that they're missing by just staying with this, this one version of that movement. Uh, let me ask you about your book. So uh, DVRT, The Ultimate Sandbag Training System, uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it was a uh... Definitely a, a fun challenge because I knew it was going to be a book that both, you know, fitness pros and, and, and people that just love to work out were hopefully going to get into. And, you know, with that in mind, I wanted to be able to speak to both people without overwhelming some and uh, underwhelming others. Uh, so really the book is to lay out what our DVRT system is and, you know, why it's so beneficial to people and uh, why we believe it's really the, the core of what people should be using. Uh, and so basically we lay out the philosophy, the methodologies, the principles, the concepts, and then obviously we go through a host of different movement patterns, but we try to do so in the same type of progression we would teach. And so we want to, you know, first establish the movement pattern and then add complexity to the movement pattern. So we show people how they would do so 
um, and, and it'll lay out some programs. And hopefully when people read it, they get a really whole new way of looking at how they develop their fitness programs. Maybe a lot of things they're like, oh my God, I didn't even think that that was a major weak spot. I didn't think about all the things I didn't consider when I created a, a workout program in general. Because you know, when we're teaching DVRT, we're not just teaching you know, in the scope of the ultimate sandbag, but you know, when you apply any tool to the, to the program, it should fit within the construct of these principles. Uh, you know, kettlebells fit along the same line, dumbbells and barbells. You know, the reason we use the ultimate sandbag a lot is because we just have more options in manipulating some of these program, uh, these variables within the program. So hopefully when people read that, they really get an open up view of what fitness and, and, and functional training should be. And it gives them not only a direction to go with it, but some really great ideas that they can extrapolate for a lot of other things. So it sounds like it's definitely for the, the beginner uh, that's looking to, to get into DVRT type training. Absolutely. I tried to write that in mind if this was your first exposure to our system, you know, give you guys, you know, give people the idea of like, hey, this is where you start. Yes. And this is how you go from here. You know, I think, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we get labeled as not being into load. And I said, well, that's, of course, not the case. We definitely believe in load, but we just, but we know that load's not the only option when adding stress to the body. So we want to open people's minds up to the other training variables that work in conjunction with load. And, you know, if you think about it, the only implement that does really incremental loading is the barbell. So out of all the tools that we use, there's only one tool that does incremental loading, and yet we all believe we have to do incremental loading as the primary means of stressing the body. So what we try to do is really give people a, a thought process and then an outline of how to accomplish goals, whether you're advanced or a beginner. Gotcha. Now, is the book enough, Josh, or is it important that people really find an instructor and, and learn the right way to, to train with the sandbag? I, I'd like to be able to say the book is enough, but, you know, having been on the other side, you know, when I got into cowbells or, you know, anything else that, you know, I always started off with a book. But in reality, there's so much movement. Uh, to everything that we do that people probably need to seek someone out to work with them a bit, whether it's coming to a course of ours or seeking out an instructor because, you know, I, we, we have people that come to our programs all the time. They're like, hey, man, I've been watching your videos for like two or three years and this was just totally different. And there's just things that you miss yes. um, right. by, by not working with someone. There's things that you don't know to look for. Uh, and it's really hard to coach yourself, especially when you're learning something for the first time. And, you know, it's nice to have someone who has the expertise and the background and who can just have another pair of eyes to look at you and be like, hey, these are things you're doing well and these are things we need to work upon. So working with someone is really important. You know, I read years ago uh, a magazine article where some strength coach said, you know, sandbags are just really unstable, so they don't require a lot of technique. And I sort of was left scratching my head, and I'm just like, well, <laughs> right. if your philosophy is it's a very unstable implement, then it should require more technique than anything else you use. And I think yes. people are always surprised by the technical component upon doing these lifts correctly and well. And so that's a big part in the success. So yeah, I think the, the book serves as a good foundation to get people on the right track. And if they, you know, if they really want to have long-term success with it, trying to find an instructor or come to a program is really where it's at. All right. So uh, along those lines of... Uh sandbags being technical, how would you compare it, let's say, to kettlebell training, and then maybe how would you compare it to Olympic weightlifting? So those are two training modalities that are very technical. So how, how would sandbags maybe compare to each of those? Um, you know, I would just say, you know, obviously <laughs> if very you have different. a background in Olympic lifting, obviously some of the exercises are going to be familiar, but, you know, it's funny because I, I think back to you know, we've had people with a strong Olympic lifting backgrounds in, in our classes, and they've struggled because they built, built a very specific means of lifting a weight. Yes. Uh, I've seen the same thing with kettlebell lifters. You know, they develop a very specific means of lifting a weight. Um, none of it's bad. They've obviously just gotten very in tune with the implement that they're using. With, with the USB, though, there's, you know, again, if you go, well, those two are both static implements, it's easier to make mistakes and get away with it than it is with the ultimate sandbag. Because it is an implement that has both dimensional and stability components that it's, it's really hard. And I think that's one of the things that really is eye-opening to me and it's a kind of things that we chuckle at in a, in a good way, not in a like laughing at people way, is that people will tell me that you know, they want to use sandbags because they're unstable. And then when the first time they actually have to use an ultimate sandbag in a role where instability and the internal shifting of the load becomes an a important part, they really struggle and they get frustrated. 
And so I think people then, then go, why are you getting frustrated? They're like, damn, this thing's moving too much. <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, I thought you said you wanted to use something unstable. So, you know, it's not, it, I want to be cautious here because, you know, I think the way we look at instability is a little bit off. And so it's not like this drastic shift and movement that's like, you know, a slosh pipe or something like that. That's too drastic. And that's why most people don't get benefit. We want to create just a little bit of instability where people have to be really, you know, proficient in their movement to perform the exercise well. And so to answer your question, I think a lot of ways it's more because, you know, the whole reason, I mean, if you have a seven foot barbell, that, that thing's pretty darn stable. Yeah. And so it allows you more errors. It allows you to get away with more. I mean, you, you and I have seen it, right? You've seen people get away with stuff that they probably shouldn't. And same thing with kettlebells. You know, again, you can get away with stuff. And I think, you know, is it possible to do that in DVRT? Yeah, it's possible. But I think it's a lot more obvious and evident when people do so. And I think even, even to a greater extent, they just can't even perform the exercise if they don't have the, the movement down. It's not even possible to simply muscle through. I mean, we've had some very large individuals come through. And sometimes those are the people that struggle the most because they've just been so used to getting away with stuff. Yes. And now they're really being forced to uh, really be aware of their movement patterns. So right. it, I'm not going to say it's complicated, but you definitely have to know the concepts. And once you know the concepts, then practice will allow people to become very proficient rather quickly. Is this something you, th- you think that you can continue to, to get better at? So even like uh, your, yourself, for example, mm-hmm. your, your top instructors, <clears throat> is this something that you're still advancing and improving on with your own techniques? A- absolutely. I mean, our whole mission is to always find something subtle that makes a big impact. And I mean, yeah. for example, it's something as simple as, you know, when we're performing clean the fist that it's pulling the handles out as you begin to pull. Um, something that a lot of people wouldn't think about, but as soon as you do that, it fixes a lot of technique flaws. So there's always a subtlety in the movement or subtlety in the body position or alignment that creates a different outcome for the exercise. And we're always looking to create a better one. So we want to be able to anticipate the flaws that people will have so we can sort of address them immediately and at the same time give them simple cues that allow them to increase their performance rather rapidly. And, you know, I think people are always surprised how much they're able to improve their form once they understand little nuances to the movements. And that's really what makes all the difference in the world when they start trying to do the drills. I mean, I remember a, a colleague of mine, Alan Crosgrove, once came up to me and he said, hey, Josh, you know what your problem is? And I said, well, I got a long list, but I want to hear yours. <laughs> um, he said, you know, he said, your videos, they look too easy. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, when you're doing stuff, like it, you can't really tell how challenging the movement is. And then you do it your first time yourself and you almost fall over. And you get an idea like, holy crap, this is hard. And so I guess his point was just, you know, again, I know what I'm trying to do with my body. I know what I'm trying to do with the implement. And so therefore, it allows me to look a lot more efficient. And that's the same qualities we want to, you know, provide other people. That's interesting. Now, tell us why, why are homemade sandbags not the best thing. We've got another hour and a half, right? <laughs> um, no, it's a great question, and, and it's one big, I have to uh, answer because, issue. again, you know, I, did, I came from this from the perspective of being a fitness professional and never like, oh, I want to manufacture equipment. I always joke with people like, it wasn't like I was sitting in some boardroom. We said, what can we make now? Um, it was just really <laughs> organic, and it was just, you know, yeah. basically my, my buddy at the time going, you know, seeing my frustration with the duffel bag and going, well, what if you could make your own? What would you do differently? And I never had given it much thought. I was just like, well, if we did this and we did that and, 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 you know, over the last 10 years, it's really now gotten to a point where I think it's about as good as it can be. Um, and a couple of things. One is, is you can't build progression. And that's a big thing. I, I know when people see handles on our ultimate sandbag, they're like, oh, you guys made it easier. In fact, actually, we made it harder. Um, when most people do a clean with a duffel bag, um, they grab the outside portions and they clean the weight up. And what that does is it actually makes the implement stable. By having handles and we cleaned a fist, it actually makes the weight unstable. And you have to have a, a much more specific uh, pattern in place and, and technique in place to clean it in the right position. It's one of the best opportunities to expose people to the concept of an unstable weight is when we try to clean the fist. Because you see so many compensations that cause them to uh, miss the lift. So handles obviously extend our ability to sort of expound on the instability component, but more importantly, allows us to build better progressions. Like, again, going back to what we originally talked about, how do you build a progression with some of these movements? And so by having different handles, we're able to build better progressions. It also opens up the playbook. I mean, if you think about a, a duffel bag, you know, you and I could probably sit here and with our best effort, we could maybe come up with 30 actually useful exercises. And, you know, with our ultimate sandbag, we have over 400. 
So again, wow. some of them are very subtle changes to how we hold or change the you know implement itself. Uh, some of it are more drastic. So a lot of it is you know building better progressions, giving more options, which allows people to have better solutions. And if you have better solutions, you're going to get a better result. The other thing is just from a, a programming perspective. I mean, again, you know, it's one of these things where I chuckle. You know, people are like, "Oh, you didn't invent sandbags," and I'm like, "I trust me, I know that. Um, I never claimed that I have." And people are like, "Oh, they've been around forever." I go, "Okay, well, what 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 makes up a sandbag program?" And that's usually where we hear crickets. Right. Um, so what we've done by standardizing. You know, dimension and the, and what a sandbag should be. We've allowed people to now focus on the programming aspect, and that's to me, you know, the really cool part is how do we program, you know, and accomplish specific goals with this implement via our system. You know, how do we change things like holding position and buy position and point of motion and, and instability of the implement to create different outcomes? And so that's what we've spent a lot of time with our instructors recently is showing people how you know we have our own language and how we approach programming. If you have something that really has no standardization, then you can't really create a program because you and I could be using totally different tools and having totally different experiences with them. Now you and I can communicate, hey, Josh, if you say to me, Josh, I'm using a 100-pound burley for a clean and press, I know exactly what you're doing. Gotcha. Uh, you know, versus saying, hey, Josh, I'm using a 100-pound sandbag. I don't know, it could be small, it could be big, it could be floppy, it could be compact. Um, there really is no way for me to really help you in, in designing a program and progressions to improve your performance. So, you know, that's something we want to do. And from a fitness professional side, we want that's so important in allowing clients to actually have success and actually solve problems. You know, how are you going to manipulate different aspects of the sandbag to allow your client to be successful because you're trying to uh, obtain a, a specific outcome? And so I think, unfortunately, a lot of times, Trainers end up using an implement like a sandbag as this sort of shock value. There's like, oh, I just want to do it because it's different. It's going to be really hard today. And my, and my client, gosh darn it, if they look at that kettlebell and barbell one more time, they're going to vomit. We need something different. Uh, and instead of looking at it going, man, this helps me do this better. And that's really what we want to do. We want people using the ultimate sandbag in the program because it allows them to do something better than they were doing before. Yeah, I mean, you want them to really understand why they're using the tool, what the benefits are, and, you know, the rationale behind it. I mean, I think that's really... Um, the most important thing. So, so the bottom line is you don't advise obviously using homemade sandbags. And I should say for the, for the record that I'm not a fan of, of homemade gym equipment. I mean, I think you're, if you're serious about training, I think you have to invest in the right tools and the best tools for safety and for effectiveness. So, well, you know, the last thing I'll say about that, Scott, is just yeah. like, again, it's one of those things where, you know, people go, Oh, I've been doing sandbags forever. And I go, how much do you use it? Oh, I don't really use it, but I have it. And then and that ends up what happens with things like the homemade sandbag is that people may have them, maybe, but they often don't use them because they just don't work. Like, I wouldn't have gotten into this if the duffel bag worked awesome for myself and my clients. Like, it wouldn't have even been a thought process. So, to me, it's uh, like you said, there's a safety uh, factor there, but there's also just, hey, does this thing even work? And it's okay. You sit, we unfortunately find people that you know spend time on building duffel bags that just end up buying ours because they're like, this just sucks. I mean, we had the military buy a bunch of our uh, USBs and use our program because, and they have access to duffel bags you know all day, but they're just like, it sucks. It doesn't do anything. Right. Uh, and, and we have to distinguish being difficult and being effective. Yes. So for somebody starting, so they're ready to go with sandbags, what are the top three to four steps that they should uh, take action with to get started the right way? What, what do they need to do? Well, um, I'll give you a couple of things. One, one is obviously they have to have a specific outcome in mind, like, okay, you're going to use it to do what? Um, and that can be defined over time as you go through some of the different movements. But having a, having a goal in mind will definitely allow us to optimize the training that you're performing. Uh, two is basically to get the right size. So, you know, again, as I sort of mentioned, you know, in, in DVRT, we have not just load, but we have dimension. Uh, so depending upon what your focus is, you know, if it's more movement oriented, complex drills, you know, you're going to use a smaller USB. If it's, you know, a, a blend of, uh, you know, strength and movement, we recommend our strength. And if you're going, you know, want a more unstable implement, then it's sort of our burly 
type of mode, which uh, these are considerations people have to make. And, you know, they don't need a million different USBs, although I don't mind if people want to. But, you know, they can have one or two. Generally, we recommend people have one larger and one smaller one. And that's not just from a load perspective. Again, it's from the idea where one's going to be more compact. They can do more complexity of movement. One's going to be more stable. They can actually use an unstable load for some of their um, base drills. So, you know, that, that's important. And then, you know, determining a low, appropriate load is, is something we spend time with. We don't usually, you know, change load incrementally. We have, uh, we'll have some set base loads for, for our, our uh, sizes of ultimate sandbags, for example. For strength, we'll recommend usually like 40, 50, and 60 pounds. And we use a, a stoplight system. So green is our easiest, yellow is intermediate, red is hardest. So a 40-pound strength bag would be a green strength. And what that does, it starts helping forming the, the system again and programming. So, for example, if, if someone wrote into you, Scott, and said, hey, man, I'm having a hard time with my DVRT training. You said, well, what are you using? You said, hey, I'm using a, a yellow strength for my rotational lunge. You don't even need to know that. You already know the weight and you know the dimension. Now you can solve the problems of what are they doing wrong in that movement. Um, so it's a lot of little things like that. Those are some of the considerations. But also then it's, it's also from a programming side understanding like, okay, what are the movement patterns? How do I establish the movement patterns well? And then how do I add complexity to them? You know, a general rule of thumb, it's a relatively simple one. I, I often tell people our system is not complex, it's just new. That in lower body dominant lifts, we're going to change holding position before body position. In upper body dominant lifts, we're going to change body position, body position before holding position. And once they sort of get those two concepts down and they start having an understanding of them, then they can start actually intermixing those two. And then we can eventually start playing a role with dimension and plane of motion. And plane of motion is one of my favorite things to sort of challenge people on because that's where you see so many weaknesses lie in the inability to resist other planes of motion and the ability to move through other planes of motion. Uh, I had a great Gosh, I got to bug him again for the research study, but Chris Frankel, who's the educational uh, director for TRX, shared with me you know, that there's an actual study out there that said fitness is really defined as the ability to replicate movement under different conditions. So it's like, it's awesome we can deadlift, for example, and we can hip hinge when we're stable, but hey, what happens if we laterally step? Can we still reproduce that same quality hip hinge? And you'll see that people compensate all the time. And so, you know, basically what people need to consider is size, load, purpose, and then we can progress them through the different principles of the system. As we kind of pull this all together, I wonder if you could just summarize maybe the single biggest benefit of USB training is what? Movement efficiency. I mean, the whole reason people strength train, in, in all honesty, outside of posting cool posts on Facebook, is uh, to, to move more efficiently. And why do you get stronger? So that you can move more efficiently. Why do you develop more power? So you can move more efficiently. Um, and what ends up happening is we lose that focus and we end up doing exercises and we focus on getting good at exercises rather than remembering the major purpose of why we're even lifting in the first place. Do you find that a lot of athletes benefit from this type of training? Oh, absolutely. It's actually something that more and more athletes are embracing because they realize, you know, the, the best example I can give people is this, Scott. You know, we start off our programs, we talk about walking. And I say, what, what point of motion is walking? And, you know, we get all the types of answers, but the answer is it's all three planes. Yes, you're right. And, and I go, okay, now show me the average strength conditioning program for an athlete. And about 90% of it is actually plane-based. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. So something as fundamental as walking <laughs> Something that we all pretty much do uses all three planes, but most of our lifting is going to be sagely plane-based. And there's this underlying assumption that that magically transfers to everything we do, and we know that's simply not the case. I mean, research has proven that, you know, anecdotal evidence proves that all the time. So it's not to say that all of a sudden we should do, be doing wacky plane of motion training, but we have to do a better job of progressing movement than we are right now. So really our, what DVRT is about is movement efficiency by progressing movement in, in our de definitive uh, system. Gotcha. So, Josh, I have a little fun segment here. This is one of my favorite parts. Uh, I call it the Power 3 segment, and it's three kind of rapid-fire questions. So if you're good with that, we'll, uh, we're going to start off here with question number one, which is the, the biggest misunderstanding about uh, USB, ultimate sandbag training, is what? That's a sandbag program. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds contradictory, but it's right. really a movement system. Yes. And, and so that's what we, is the biggest misunderstanding. And the second probably is that it's, it's just an unstable implement and that it just follows the same rules as barbells and kettlebells, which it doesn't. 
Question number two is the, uh, the greatest fitness book you've read that you'd recommend to others would be what? Um, the greatest fitness book. Wow. Depends what people <laughs> want to accomplish, but I, I think one of the best is the Wrestling Physical Conditioning Encyclopedia by John Jesse. It's from about 1974, um, but he was definitely well ahead of his time. Uh, John Jesse was a professor and an athlete. Um, just a phenomenal book. It's what some people think was the foundation of actually CrossFit, um, but was actually a much smarter, well-thought-out um, system of training and explains training in general. What was the title of the book again? It's Wrestling Physical Conditioning Encyclopedia. I think it's – you can still find it. Uh, it's out of print, but you can still find it uh, on the online. Interesting. Never heard of that one. I'll have to check it out. The single best training tip you recommend for people would be what? Be a critical thinker. Uh, you know, in the sense of both, you know, your goals and the training that you're using. I think way too many people, you know, A, have too vague of goals. I want to get stronger. Okay, what does that mean to you? Yes. And, and two, following programs because, you know, they're told that this is a really good one. Uh, you want to make sure that it's really good for you. I remember one of my favorite stories is a young man. He was probably about 19. He hurt his back deadlifting. And I watched him fix the deadlift a little bit. But I said, eh, your deadlift's not that bad. What have you been doing? He goes, well, I've been using this system. It's, it's what elite powerlifters do. And I said, can you say that again for me? He goes, that's what elite powerlifters do. I said, one more time. He wasn't getting what I was doing, which was he was an elite powerlifter. Uh, and so I think, you know, people being honest with themselves and being critical thinkers and going, Hey, I'm not going to follow this program just because it's the new cool program, but I can definitely see how this helps me towards my goals. I love that advice, man. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. All right. So where do people find you online and go for all the, uh, additional information and resources, things that we talked about here today, feel free to talk about any other, uh, resources that we did not talk about as well. Sure. I mean, we, we try to really give a ton of free content because we want people to really understand what they're getting into and what they're investing into. Uh, we do consider an investment uh, for people. So, you know, our website's dvrtfitness.com, and we give, you know, a ton of free content on our blog that we update almost daily. Uh, we have over 600 free YouTube videos. If people search out Ultimate Sandbag Training on uh, YouTube, they'll find our videos through there, both instructional and programs. Um, be careful, of course, as I always have to sort of give a little asterisk to things like be, be aware of what you look on when you look on social media and things like YouTube as far as good versus bad information. You know, there's some other great, you know, uh, instructors we have that put out content, but just be, you know, a smart consumer. Absolutely. Um, and then we just have, you know, uh, we have a free ebook with people sign up for our newsletter that we give out. Um, you know, like I said, we never spam. We always try to give content-rich stuff. I'm trying to think. We have a host of different interviews and other things. But really, if people start on our website and they look through the blogs, you know, they, they can archive for quite a long time and just read about the, the blogs. The book, you know, is a great starting point. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. if you just want to sit there and focus and go, okay, what is this thing even about and how do I even begin and then where do I go from there? The book is a great way of, of starting that. Yeah, you know, I – We always recommend books here on the show, and that's one of the reasons why I asked that question. You know, what's the big book that you'd recommend? But, I mean, if this is something that people – I didn't even say it in my own book. How about that? (laughs) But, you know, I'm always reading books and recommending books. And if you're interested in a training method, like that's the place to start. You know, so I I saw your book. I actually don't have it yet, Josh. It's on my my list, so I'll be ordering that soon Um, and uh, looking forward to reading it. But, you know, I think you you start with a book. You learn about the the training system – you know, and if it's a match for your goals and you proceed and move forward with it. So that sounds uh, Absolutely. Awesome. And we're always happy to hear, uh, happy to help people. So if people want to email us, um, they can email us at info at ultimate sandbag training.com. But we also have a, a Facebook um, group that we keep, you know, very protected. And, and so that people are just welcome to exchange ideas and questions, which is just the DVRT fitness group. If people want to jump on in there and ask questions and go, is this right for me? You know, we want, we want to make sure that people know what they're getting themselves into, which is hopefully a phenomenal journey into improving their fitness. Excellent. Excellent. You mentioned the uh, free ebook. What is the free ebook? Um, basically, it's outlining our system again. I have links okay. in there to specific exercises and um, workout programs. Um, people should receive it when they sign up for our newsletter, which again, we never spam or do anything like that. Um, we always try to give content rich material with everything we do. So it's a pretty good length book, it has nice pictures of some of the foundational movements and how we delineate holding position by position, some of these principles we've been talking about. Nice. That sounds like a good place to start as well. Mm-hmm. So, so the uh, final question, uh, what's the big action or advice you have for listeners after hearing our interview here today? 
Uh, I would say take action in one form or another. If it's you know, spending time and watching the videos, reading articles, getting the book, um, or actually just investing in an ultimate sandbag and trying it, you know, as so many people want to make judgment without really doing their homework or spending time with things. And I think if people, you know, we get all the time that people are, are saying to us, like, the worst mistake they made was they waited too long to try this. Uh, and I know that sounds like a sales pitch, but we get almost on a daily basis that people thought, like, hey, man, I, I just didn't really think this worked that well, and oh, my God, it does. And so, you know, it could be a small action step, like I said, spending some time watching some videos, reading some blogs, or it could be a bigger action step in, in investing and getting an ultimate sandbag and starting uh, working with it. Fantastic. Josh, this has been great. Great interview. Really enjoyed it. Learned a lot, and uh, thank you so much. My pleasure, Scott. Anytime. All right. Well, big thanks to Josh for doing the interview and really glad that we could finally make that happen. Again, Josh has been on my list for a while and it was great to talk with him and, and learn all about his system. Be sure to take action with the information that may mean just simply learning more about the method and also being a critical thinker as Josh suggested and uh, really determine whether this fits into your training program or not. Never do something just to do it, but really understand how it will help you. I think that's really, really great advice. So let me know who you'd like to hear from. Again, I've gotten some great feedback from you all, all the listeners, and uh, I'm trying to put future interviews together based on your feedback. So you can catch me on the Facebook fan page. That would be facebook.com forward slash Ardella training. You can catch me on Twitter at Ardella training or Instagram Ardella training over there as well, wherever you'd like, just uh, let me know who you'd like to hear from and I'll see if I can make that interview happen in the future. I've got a ton of great interviews coming your way. There are a ton of great, uh, things scheduled already. I'm really excited about the guests. I think you're going to love who's coming here on the show. One final thing is something that Josh mentioned in the interview, and that is the book, The Weightlifting Encyclopedia by Arthur Dreschler. That is an amazing, amazing book. It's over 500 pages, just a, a beast of a book. It's not light reading by any means, but uh, I have that one, and it is fantastic. So if you don't have that and you want to learn really all about Olympic weightlifting, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. So I thought I would just uh, mention that one again as well. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show, guys. Thank you so much. Be sure to check out next week's show, episode number 114, and I'm going to have the details again about how you can win a free Rogue Kettlebell. So until then, have a great week and uh, take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.